Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. As you might imagine, given that I am recording a Brocast, and I am recording a mailbag Brocast for the first time in many, many moons. Um, very exciting. All right, so we're just going to get started. Here's the format. I will do all of the football questions first. Sorry, I know basketball people. I get it, but. I will, I will, I will certainly get to you. It's just going to be uh, the only way to organize this properly. Um, then I will do basketball, and then at the very end, the questions I didn't do in football are all recruiting related, and Blair has kindly recorded the answers to those. So I will loop his in at the end. So football, non-recruiting, then basketball, then football, recruiting. All right, everyone, get the format. Cool. Let's dive right in. <clears throat> All right, fourth down and 20 says, who do I got to bribe to get my kids into UCLA? Well, apparently not Jorge Salcedo anymore, uh, since he's on administrative leave. Um, you know, I've got many different thoughts on this. First, obviously, it's not a good thing. Nobody should be bribing to get their kids into school. But we do sanction quite a bit of bribery to get kids into school. I mean, it's just you've got to have a certain amount of wealth to buy a building. Um, so... You know, I mean, this isn't quite a victimless crime because um, they did take advantage of uh, a number of these families took advantage of accommodations um, in testing, which could cause, you know, some ramifications for people who actually need accommodations. Um, In some sense, you could argue they took spots away from other people, but I don't know. I mean, preferred walk-ons... Uh, you can have, obviously, at certain institutions, they're mostly guys who are, you know, pretty good at that sport or girls who are pretty good at that sport. Um, but a lot of institutions use those to stash, um, you know, people who couldn't get in through the regular admissions process. So it's not, you know, bad. sometimes those spots are just kind of allotted for basically legacies, which isn't great either. Like, it's not fun. Um, our whole kind of nepotistic attitude towards uh, legacies, and we just accept that, you know, Harvard's going to take in basically every legacy that wants to go there, and Yale, and how, you know, that leads to kind of systemic issues, but anyway, who do you have to bribe at UCLA? Me. You have to pay me tens of thousands of dollars, and um, I can't guarantee anything, but I'll, you know, I'll talk to somebody. Who knows? All right, um... Bruin 2012. He says, if Bruins start two and one, so for, for rationality's purposes, I'm going to say that Cincinnati and San Diego and losing to Oklahoma, uh, do you see them challenging for the South? I only see Utah and potentially SC as challengers. Um, if they start two and one, that means they're in pretty good shape because I think Cincinnati is still going to be pretty good this year. Um, San Diego State's kind of just never bad um anymore which is a weird and new world and it's fun um so yeah I mean I think that makes them a south contender because I don't think there's anyone in the south who's great um I think Utah I I wouldn't the thing with the south is it's kind of because nobody is great um everyone kind of does have a chance I would probably rule out Colorado as a contender um but the Arizona schools could get weird. I mean, Arizona, their defense is returning quite a bit. Um, they were better last year on defense than they were the previous year. Um, I don't know if someone has it in them. I don't know if Khalil Tate, slightly healthier, is going to be more like Khalil Tate two years ago. 
but I wouldn't rule out Arizona. Um, ASU, they brought in a pretty good recruiting class. They obviously need to figure out a new quarterback, a new top receiver, a couple other things. But, you know, they they look like they could be pretty decent, too. Um, I have my doubts about USC, if only because Clay Helton is, last I checked, still their head coach. Um, and for once, they are not the most talented team in the Pac-12. That's probably Washington. Um, Utah, yeah. I mean, I think they're going to be decent like they always are. But it's a lot of decent. I, I don't see anybody there who's who's going to be super elite. So, um, yeah, I think five teams have a chance. Um, and I think UCLA, if, if definitely if they start 2-1. But honestly, even if they go 0-3, there are enough pieces there that I wouldn't be shocked if they're whatever, you know, five and four, six and three in conference and in this weird morass of kind of above average or average teams, they are right there at the end. Uh, East Bay Bruin fan. Uh, many teams have their coaches assigned to a particular geographical area. Does you see, oh, okay. So this was one of the questions, God, I'm such a dummy. Uh, this is one of the questions that Blair, uh, has kindly answered. All right, Davey asks, uh, does Chip eventually get UCLA to a perennial top 10 program? How big of a check did your dad Grizzly... Okay, so first question from Davey uh, is the real one. Uh, Does Chip eventually get UCLA to a perennial top 10 program? Um, I'm going to go no. Um, That's just my opinion. It's not a statement of fact, everyone out there. Um, Perennial top 10 means... You're basically, he gets them to the level he had Oregon for each of his four years there. I think they more or less were top 10 each of those four years. Maybe not the first year, um, but they were comfortably there. Um, They looked like a top 10 team by the back half of the first year. And then through the three years after that, they were clearly a top 10 team. I don't know. I I really don't think so at this point. Um, It's a different deal. And I don't know that, I, I think a lot of us are discounting how much of and I, I think I did this from the jump, how much the structure that was already in place at Oregon um, influenced his rise there. Um, because he had to put the finishing touches. He had to put the bow on Oregon, but it wasn't like he was working with something that had been as low as UCLA was um, the last few years under Jim Mora, um, with a lot of the structure being not really in place. Um like I don't, I don't think he cleared out the entire recruiting staff at Oregon when he finally took over. I don't think he cleared out all the support staff. I don't think he cleared out whatever structures they had in replace for recruiting. I don't know that he changed like the entire complexion of what they were doing, and that happened at UCLA. They changed everything. Um, only a few holdovers in the entire structure of the football program from Mora's time. Um, a couple of assistant coaches, sure, but like the staff that does all of the recruiting stuff, like that more or less got completely changed out. Um, and that's a different thing. That's a that's a rebuild. That's a complete go down to the studs and rebuild the whole thing. And he's never done that at the college level before. Um, so, and it, it's a different skill set that goes into that. Um, I think what we saw in year one is the skill set that he had at Oregon that was the most obvious, Chip Kelly offensive mastermind, became obvious again by the end of last season. Um, but the deficiencies that we saw in recruiting, um, in roster management, um, maybe even to a certain extent on defense. Um, you know, my theory was, because Nick Aliotti had the, the jump in performance when 
Chip Kelly took over on the offense was that he had, you know, fingers on the offense. But everything we've heard since then is that he kind of didn't. And he just kind of let Aliotti do what he did. And what that might mean is that the the inherent relationship between a great offense and a defense is can be borne out statistically. Maybe Aliotti just got better because the offense was just so good that it put so much pressure on the other offense to keep up. That that, that could be legitimately true. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is he has the offense, um, but I think the other things are just such a different deal that it's hard to project them getting all the way back to where Oregon was, which had it seemingly all those other things in place. Um, obviously, I could be wrong, and I think he's going to have it... I, what I think is going to happen is this year is going to be a little bit still scuffling. I think they'll get to... Right now, I'd say... I'm sure this is a question later on. Right now, I'd say they probably get to six wins, maybe seven. Um, and then the following year, I think they'll be good. I think they'll be like eight or nine win team. Um, but the question is whether they're ever getting them to... Whether Chip Kelly is basically ever getting them to that mythical UCLA 11 wins. And I just... I don't know right now. don't know. Um... And then Davey also has how big of a, da- a check did your dad, Grizzly Adams, stroke to get you into UCLA? I was obviously a big one. Uh, I think it was just like six, seven million dollars. All right, Flem 55. Uh, transfers, UCLA actually going to get any? If yes, will they even make an impact? Uh, there was a comment by, okay, so let's take these one at a time. Um, all right, so. I, I still think UCLA will do a little bit of pursuit after spring ball once they realize what they have, what they don't have, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I do think they're kind of standing pat. It was weird that they weren't super active heading into spring ball when there are some obvious numbers deficiencies, let alone like starting star talent. But there's obvious numbers issues. And it was apparent when I was out at practice yesterday that like, Look, the offensive line I don't think is actually going to be that much of a problem spot if everyone stays healthy because, look, Jake Burton's gotten a lot better. Boss Tagaloa looks like a pro. Chris Murray's still really good. Mike Alves, if he doesn't have a bad back to start the year, is going to be fine. So they really just need one guy to kind of step up and be decent enough, and they could slide Burton to left tackle and just have that guy be a right tackle. And, yeah, it's not going to be great, but will they be fine? Yes. Um but that's if everyone stays healthy. Um, you need guys in the depth chart just to have guys in the depth chart. Somebody who's played a little bit and can step in and not like completely fall on their ass. Um, and that's what they don't have right now. You know, I like some of the pieces that are young, like Barack Beckett, John Gaines. They could end up good, but they're also like still like 30 pounds underweight. And I, I completely support it. They were two-year guys who needed time to get into the program and really build up. But um, you can't really count on them to play a bunch yet. So, um, yeah, I, I, they've got a lot of uh, a, a lot to figure out there. So I think they should. Um, a few of the key spots where I would try to take guys would be definitely a transfer quarterback. Watching the QBs yesterday, I think you know, I, I think there's you can obviously project ahead and say, okay, they'll be fine. But they're not like right now. Watching them, I'm like, oh, okay, well, they would be as of right now. I don't think they would be top level Pac-12 quarterbacks. And that's based on practice, and it's spring ball. I mean, who cares? But right now, I would say, if I was looking at that, I'd be like, okay, we probably need to take a quarterback. You know, just somebody who's insurance against these guys not developing a ton by fall. Um, And that seems completely normal and legitimate. Um, So quarterback, um, linebacker, I would 
take maybe a, a, a couple of real transfers, like two or three year guys, just to shore the gap up the following year. Um, this year they'll probably be okay, but the following year not. Um, so yeah, I think some guys, I, I think definitely they could take some guys who would have an impact, but I, 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 it's just, I'm, I'm kind of stunned they didn't try to get anybody, um, or really go after it, um, in the pre-spring portion. Um, and, uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know how heavily they're going to pursue it afterwards. Um, but I would, um, they're going to be at 70 guys or so, uh, for fall camp. And, uh, that's just that's not a good position to be in um and i know there's a question coming up about that where i'll expand a little bit on it but um getting those numbers up just those absolute numbers up would be good um all right and then he said there was a comment by a poster saying that cck showed coach coach chip kelly can we just say chip kelly or chip cck does not work for me i got cjm that looked kind of cool CCK does not work for me. I keep thinking CPK. It's kind of hard to say. It's just, you know, the red scare thing, like CCCP was the Russian way of doing USSR. Like, there's not a lot of good there. So let's 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 move on to something else. All right. Uh, was showing up late to meetings and was disengaged. This was coming from a friend whose son is a PWO. Any truth here? This is not something at all I've heard from any other avenue that he was showing up late to meetings um, and appeared disengaged with the team and that kind of stuff. What was obvious is that he was disengaged with recruiting. That was 100% obvious, and I'm not going to like even take any anecdotal evidence that he wasn't. Um, that like That does not pass any smell test that I can think of. But with the team, no. Everything we heard is that, if anything, they were sacrificing recruiting to spend more time coaching, developing, doing all that stuff. So, no, I don't really buy that one. Um, He's also been, like, obsessively punctual with practice from everything we've heard and seen. Um, You know, showing up early to media scrums. And who would ever want to show up early to media scrums? Um, So, it just doesn't – it doesn't fit – my mental narrative of Chip Kelly based on everything else we've heard. So I don't buy that one. And I'm not saying the guy who's saying that is wrong or that he's, you know, lying or whatever. I'm saying maybe there's just some confluence here. And a a dad of a preferred walk-on might have a, I don't know, maybe a a biased impression. A lot of these guys think their kids should be starting. Um, So there could just be some negative feelings. And that's another thing is uh, Chip Kelly, I think he's – been decent enough with the team he's not a warm and fuzzy presence so maybe he's not glad handing his dad or whatever I don't know I don't want to get into the whole dynamics of the thing I don't really buy that he's late to meetings that's that's more of a Rick Neuheisel thing who was more interested in golfing um all right and then what do you guys need to see out of spring to give you confidence that UCLA will go seven and five or better this upcoming season Ah, uh, gosh, it's hard. So here's the thing is it's hard. And I, I know I posed this question to, I think, Ryan on the last podcast of Champions. And it's a really unfair question because there's nothing. There's nothing to see out of spring that would convince you that they're going to go any record. The only thing that would convince me that they would go any particular record is if all of the quarterbacks got hurt, then I would be like, oh, yeah, they're going two and 10 or three and nine. Um, but look, if, if Dorian Thompson Robinson suddenly looks really, really good in the back half of spring, will that suddenly convince me they're going seven and five? No, I mean, he could, I mean, he, it could just be, you know, they're in air. They, they learned the, the things and he learned, you know, what the defense likes to do in a particular moment. But there's a real weird binary play. There's a really weird binary aspect at play that Chip Kelly kind of got into yesterday, which is 
And some days the defense looks good, sometimes the offense looks good, and it just means it could mean the offense looks good, or it could mean the defense looks bad, or it could mean both at the same time. Um, so if Dorian Thompson Robinson suddenly starts just tearing it up out there, well, that's probably not great for the defense. And frankly, my sense of it, so maybe this is the way to put it. I will be much more comfortable with this team if I see that the defense is pretty dominant from day one to day 15, and the linebackers are just making plays out there, um, and the pass rush looks like it could actually do something. Because I think, really, it's the defense. Um, The offense, by the end of last year, looked pretty good, um, and they didn't lose a whole lot. um, And I'm just not sold that Andre James is that huge of a loss. He was probably their third-best offensive lineman last year. Um, yes, it's left tackle, but you can slide somebody over there. You can slide Jake Burton, who looks like he's surged up, um, move him over to left tackle, and then whatever, figure out right tackle. Maybe Alec Anderson figures it out in the next five months, or maybe Sean Ryan can come in and play right tackle a little bit easier than left. It, I mean, it's. I think it'll be fine. The offense, I think it'll be fine. I think Dorian Thompson-Robinson is more of a gamer than a practice player based on everything we saw last year, so... Yeah, I think I think I think the offense will be fine. The question is whether the defense can step up and actually be the sort of unit that um, you know uh, be, it can be a top thirty, top forty type unit. And I think they have the re- returning experience to do that. Um, but they're going to need to marry scheme to the talent available, and whether they'll have a pass rush could dictate a lot. So um, maybe. Long way around, maybe that's my answer. If if I see the defense continuing to progress and get close to, you know, dominating these practices, I think that'll maybe be the best sign for the season. And I know a lot of people out there want the offense to flash because they have this impression of Dorian Thompson-Robinson that he was bad wholly through the entire year last year, which doesn't really get borne out. Mid-season, he was actually looking pretty good before he got hurt the first time. Um, so, yeah, defense looking good the entire Tire spring. That's my final answer. All right. Let's continue on here. We've got a question from I'm in SoCal. Maybe dumb for you. So I said this uh, This is a dumb thing, these mailbags. And, you know, it's just my way. Uh, maybe dumb for you, DW, but not for the diehards. Going to love to hear your snarky mailbag candor once again. Well, I hope you're enjoying it so far, I'm in SoCal. Uh, Go Bruins 34. Who do you like more, GB or BH? So this is Greg Biggins or Brandon Huffman. And it's, wow, that's like asking which one of my kids is my favorite one. And every parent has an answer, but are they really going to share it with an outsider? No. Um, Look, Huff is cuddlier. That's what I'll say. I'm not going to answer this definitively, but Huff is cuddlier. Now, that doesn't mean Greg isn't a certain amount of cuddly. But come on, Brandon Huffman, cuddly bear. All right, Fort Iguera. Predictions on first commitment. I think I sent this over to Blair. Um, Again, I'm probably just going to read all these questions that I sent over to Blair because I am, as always, a moron. All right, go UCLA 05. Anything you can glean from our support and GA staff? Not sure if if there's just a lot of white noise, but curious if they add anything diverse to the coaching staff. Also, what affirmative actions do you think Chip can take to improve this staff for recruiting based on the idea that this is really the same race that all schools are running towards signing day? Um, well, I, I think they've made some substantial changes, um, even since year one. Uh, you know, Jeff Martson is out. Ethan Young is in as uh, the director of player personnel, which is basically their director of recruiting. Um, it used to be Angus McClure, who was on on the actual coaching staff. Now it's um, basically an admin. Um 
everything I've heard about Ethan Young is that he's a really sharp guy, and um, he, I, I think he's already making substantive changes in how they're doing things and the relationships he's building with coaches and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I anticipate that what they're doing is more than just white noise, more than just um, uh, background. Um, I, I think they can have a positive effect, but I will say this, I think any substantial change in recruiting is going to have to involve Chip Kelly being um, making this more of a priority. Um, there's only so much you can do as a non-staff a non-coaching staff staff member. Um, gotta gotta you know keep the hammer down with all of the um, assistant coaches to make sure they make all their calls and do all their stuff. Um, but also Kelly needs to be involved. He needs to be involved in all that because having you know whatever twenty three or twenty four year old Ethan Young doing it, uh, that's going to be a different thing than having you know the the head man uh, keeping keeping that in the uh, priority grid for all of these. Um, all of these coaches. So I think there's still a lot to be done there, but I, I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing so far this cycle. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, Bruin Banker, several questions. Um, all right. So he asks, from what you've heard, uh, seen, has the staff decided to change their approach to recruiting? Blair's going to get to a lot of that, but yes, I, I think they, they, they really have. Uh, with the South as wide open as it's really ever been and the momentum we had to close this year, do you think we have a shot at competing for the division? Yeah, I do. Um, as I said above, I think the South is pretty wide open. Um, I, I don't think there's anybody who's really great. So having, you know, if if they if they can figure things out a little bit defensively and Dorian Thompson-Robinson takes just a tiny leap and looks, you know, like he has full command of the offense and is ready to go, maybe even in the back half of spring, um, then yeah, I, I think they, they, they absolutely have that uh, possibility. Um, on a scale of day one of Chip Kelly to midway through the 50 nothing suck debacle, how bullish are you on turning on Chip turning UCLA into a consistent national contender? If that's the same thing as saying consistent top 10, not very bullish. Um, but if it's the same thing as saying, um, you know, compete for the Pac-12 every couple of years and, and being pretty decent, I still think that's completely on the table. Um, I, I think it's... Look, I'm... Uh, cards on the table. I I worry that having such a bad recruiting cycle in year one and then... A lot depends on this season. If they're not good, like I keep saying, six and six, seven and five on the table. What's also on the table is like four and eight. Like this is not an easy schedule. They've they've got some real bears in the non conference schedule. And then if they went, if they they could go zero and three in non conference. I wouldn't put a likelihood on that, but they could do it. I mean, Cincinnati's pretty good. San Diego State's pretty decent. Oklahoma's really good. Um, that could happen. And if they do that, and then they go four and five in conference, boom, you're at four and eight. Um, so I, I just I I think what what'll what it'll be for me is if I see them going seven and five this year, my the the whole thing will expand for me again. I'll I'll say okay, well the horizon's a little bit different now, um, but there's so much uncertainty heading into this year because. In year ones, you don't you're not schedule dependent in what you do in recruiting. Um, three and nine, I'm not gonna buy that that had that big of an impact on recruiting because first year records rarely do because most of the work you put in in recruiting starts before the season is even really getting going. 
you're doing a ton of stuff in the spring, a ton of stuff in the summer, um, and then you head into the season and you get official visits in, but the official visits are mostly, I mean, look at this crap we have. We need you to come in and fix this entire thing. We just have no talent. Um, and, you know, that's what Mora did his first year. And, yeah, they they went, whatever, 9-3 and three that first year. Um, but they were able to sell, 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 and they ended up with, like, a top-five class. Now, maybe 3-9 and is not good enough to get a top-five class, but they should have been able to sell a top-10, top-15 class last year. They just should have. I mean, that's UCLA. It's it's an easy place to recruit. It's an easy place to get talent. And to not do that in year one, well, then you get into issues where you are schedule dependent and you are record dependent. After year two, suddenly you're starting to look a certain way. And then guys aren't as excited about it. You know, it's one thing to look at Chip Kelly and say, oh, Oregon. But then it's another thing to look at him and say, oh, Eagles last two years, Niners that one year, UCLA this first year, mm, what's going on here? Um, so I just, I, a lot's going to depend on this year. If they if they turn it around and they're pretty decent, then I'll feel uh, much better about the future. Um, but right now, just there's just a lot of uncertainty. So I'm not confident about perennial top 10s. Maybe I'll feel differently after this football season. Um, but... I still think it's completely reasonable for them to end up, you know, uh, more or less the, the top program in the South for, you know, five to ten years if he really gets it going. Um, it's just, it's going to be a longer build um, after that first year. All right. Uh, set the over-under on wins for 2019 and 2020. Holy crap, Bruin Banker. All right. Over-under for 2019, I would set... Um, well, here's what I think Vegas is going to set it at, five and a half, um, and I would take the over. My personal set would be at six even. Um, 2020, I would set it at seven and a half, um, and I would probably take the over then as well, sight unseen right now. All right, uh, Jew fan 8 I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the balance of coaching acumen versus recruiting acumen. Seems like Mora pushed a little too far into the recruiting side with his staff, while Kelly seems to prefer a coaching staff that is much stronger on the coaching side. Obviously, it would be great to have a staff that can do both really well, but in most cases, something has to give. In your opinion, what's the perfect balance of these two measures? 50-50, 75% coaching, 25% recruiting? Would love to know why. Um, I think it depends on the school you're at. Um, For UCLA, I don't think you need... What you need is a lot of guys who work hard. I don't think you need like super dynamic recruiters um, to any huge extent. I think having a couple on staff, so two of the whatever number of spots, um, it that's that's great. Like you know when UCLA had Clem and Demetrius Martin or whatever, those are the two home run hitters. But like when I'm talking about recruiters, I'm talking about like when I'm talking about hard workers, I'm talking about like Angus McClure because I wouldn't say Angus was like oh, God, gonna just walk into the home of a five-star out east and just nab him for you, uh, the way kind of Clem was able to do at certain moments or whatever. Uh, But dogged worker, just dogged, and would keep calling kids and keep calling kids and making his calls and doing his thing and leaning on the natural advantages that UCLA provides. Um, That's what you need. You need a bunch of guys who are going to work hard and understand that recruiting is a heavy aspect of their job. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, it's, I think it's, I think you can find guys who do both. Um, cause I, I also don't think, look, I, I, there's probably a lot of things about football technique. I don't understand and all this kind of stuff, but 
it's a profession where I think it leaves room to be good at other stuff. And relating to people should be a critical aspect of any coach, um, no matter how much of a technician you are. Um, it should be a critical aspect of any coach because, look, you're going to have to relate to your players and you're going to have to relate to the high school kids who are uh, coming into your program. So um, I don't really buy the the coach-recruiter binary. I think they should all be doing some level of that. Um, I think the ones who should be much more coach than recruiter are the coordinators. Um, but even they, they should be able to talk to humans. Like Lou Spanos, a bit of a failure in that department. Like he couldn't really talk to humans. Um, so I, I guess what I would say is have a couple of the um, position coaches who are really dynamic recruiters and, a, and have the coordinators be really, really good X's and O's guys and have everyone else be in a good mix of both and being hard, hard workers. I would say work rate is the most important thing with all this stuff. Um, recruiting is, it's not, I, there is an art to it, but it is a lot of sweat and dealing with just BS from 17-year-olds. It's annoying, it's hard, it sucks. But it's just something that you're doing. Like, it's you wake up in the morning, you shoot a couple of texts out. You eat lunch, you shoot a couple of texts out. You make your calls in the evening. You you go out and see these kids at their high schools. Like, you just got to do the work. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's the long and the short of it. All right. Um, let's go forward. All right, Blue Lemon, three. Um, he asked a recruiting question, which I think Blair's going to get to, but bonus question, if TP was a Disney princess, which would he be and why? Oh, gosh. Um, I think of Tracy as... He's probably like a... Oh, God, I don't know. I mean... He's the the you know sort of the king of 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 a of a well he's a princess so I think Mulan yeah Tracy's Mulan all right uh, D Dog one all right I know Chip has his own recruiting strategy and I can't really argue with his results from Oregon but knowing that UCLA is low on offensive line bodies why don't we take more marginal performers especially if they want to come. We've got parents spending 100k to try to get their kids into school, and yet we deny guys who want to come based on profiles and predictions. Give me some motivated wannabes over high-maintenance five-star hype guys every day of the week. If you are low on offensive line numbers, bring in some more guys and let the rubber meet the road. Whatever is left standing is going to get it done. I like the theory. I like it. And then he says, by the way, your sister Jean is a crack-up, and your nephews are comedy. She is part of a mom group that hangs out with my wife and kids occasionally, so I feel like I know you even though I don't. I honestly think you are the epitome of a real UCLA fan, and I'd love to have a beer with you sometime, even though you live in Georgia now. Anyway, a big fan of your takes. Well, thank you for the kind words about my sister. I will uh, I will convey those to her. And uh, yeah, we should, uh, you know, visit Georgia, everyone. Let's have beers. All right, uh, true mismatch. <clears throat> I know UCLA pulled out all the stops and put in all their chips to hire Chip Kelly. Personally, I'm very disappointed in the results so far. I know it has been just one year, but God, what a bad one. I thought kids would flock to UCLA to play for Kelly, but it has been the opposite so far. So my question is, is Kelly too arrogant and self-centered to relate to today's teenagers, or will he see the errors of his ways and put forth whatever it takes to build a sustainable program 
that can win eight to nine games a season. I mean, everyone knows the coaching is really poor across town, but they still dominate us in recruiting. I, I wish I had a good answer for you. Um, I think you've hit the, I think that is the critical question, uh, which is, will they do whatever it takes to build a sustainable program that can win eight to nine games a season? I think a lot of people are taking it on faith that they know exactly what they need to do and are um, in the process of doing it. Um, but if if everyone was perfect at knowing what they needed to do and then just did it, the world would be a great place. It would be wonderful. We'd all enjoy it. We would all be holding hands and singing Kumbaya and doing like, you know, a lot of like psychedelic drugs probably. It'd be great. We'd all love it. Um, but that's not the way the world works. Um, there's incompetence baked into every profession at every level. And um, will they know exactly what they need to do? And I'm not even sure we're diagnosing it correctly. It, certain, it certainly requires that expert technique from the coach himself. And clearly a lot of stuff went wrong this cycle. And it could be stuff that we haven't even identified. Um, one thing we have identified is the amount of work they put into recruiting. That was a big issue. So it looks like they're correcting that. That's great. Um, what was the issue that made them go 0-5 to start the year? Uh, was it a, a, a philosophy about how to install? Um, I don't know. But they went 0-5 to start a year. And if they do that every year, yeah, they're going to have a trouble. They're going to have a lot of trouble. Um, so there's a lot of stuff they need to figure out. Um, I, 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 Your guess is as good as mine whether it happens. Um, I think they'll be better this year um, because of the way they ended last year. But something I've been kicking around is... Uh, they had slow starts at Oregon. Like, again, it was relative, but they did have some slow starts at Oregon uh, every year where they would be like kind of, you know, not as, you know, blowing everybody out as they were at the end of the year. It really is a rhythm offense to an extent. Maybe they'll uh, have some struggles to start the year that don't look at all like the team that ended last year, and then they'll have the same growth rate throughout the year. But what does that look like record-wise? Um so I, I still have some questions. We've only seen one year of, of Chip Kelly at UCLA, so it's hard to build a data set off of that. Um, I'm interested to see what next year looks like and the year after that um, because they've there were so many things that were not good about this last year, um, and a lot of those need to be corrected in some way, and it's I, I just don't know whether they are going to be or not. Um, all right. Uh, Coast to Coast 32, I've got Blair answering your question. Uh, Razk Sig, I have... Okay. Uh, based on the first couple of days of spring, quote, training. See what I did there? Uh, yeah, it's not silly, the whole training thing. Whatever. Call it practice. Uh, does DTR seem, one, behind where he should be in terms of development? No, I wouldn't say that. Um, I, so I didn't see him in practice last year, but everything Tracy's told me is that he was you know, fine in practice, not great. And he looked better mid-season in games than he ever looked in practice. So, um, you know, I think he, I saw him yesterday. He was fine. Um, he threw a pick. Um, first half of practice, I was saying, I was like whispering to people, I'm like, Austin Burton looks better. And then the second half of practice, Thompson Robinson came on hugely and was clearly the better of the two. So, you know, I, I, I think he might just be one of those practice players who's feeling some stuff out and doesn't really worry about, whether or not he's throwing a pick in practice, he's trying to work some stuff out. Um, looking at him specifically, um, his accuracy kind of dips when he's trying to throw outside to the sideline. Um, 
in the seam, he looks a lot better than he did last year. Um, and he was pretty good last year in the seam. Uh, but thrown over the middle, he looks pretty good. Um, but it's going to be, can he hit those outs to the sideline? Um, he's got the laser for it, but his maybe it's his footwork. It, it's hard to tell because we're sitting... We're standing so far away at practice that it's hard to see what his feet are doing. Um, but I could see that. They were practicing some drops, and his feet were just a little bit undisciplined. Um, so I could see that just being something he needs to work on. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say he's behind in his development. I would say for a, you know, a guy, a rising, rising sophomore, is that what they call him? Not a rising freshman. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think he's right. Probably where he needs to be. Uh, two. Oh, okay, so it was a, it was a, it was a uh, choose uh, a multiple choice. Um, two, right where about where a second year quarterback who got a good number of starts prior prior in the system should be, or ahead of the curve. So I'd say two. Um, just sounds like he seems to be having a lot of difficulty after that first practice in terms of making reads and connecting with receivers. But I can't remember where Hundley was at the same point. Plus, Brett was a notoriously unimpressive practice player, if I recall. Yeah, Hundley was very unimpressive in practice. And at this point in spring of his second year in the program, which was um, when he was competing to start with uh, Brijo and Prince, he wasn't looking great. At this point, I think we were saying, oh, Brijo probably looks a little bit better. So, no, I think he's right about where Hunley was. And Hunley was, you know, ended up being pretty damn good that year. So, yeah, the difference is Thompson, Thompson Robinson has a little bit of experience from last year, but, I mean... He's still a a young kid who hasn't played a whole lot of football. So I think there's a lot of room for him to grow. He has five months to get even better than he is right now. So, yeah, I feel feel okay about that. Uh, TrueBruin25 asks, what do you like to do for fun or to relax? Oh, my gosh. I have uh, two small children. So for fun, um, I like to take them to the park. Uh, to relax, I don't do anything because there is no relaxation because I have two small children, uh, one of whom likes to do gymnastics um, in our house. Um, and if you've ever watched, I mean, I don't know if this is a particular um, neuroses that I possess, but watching my child do things that involve bending her neck in any way, any way whatsoever, um, give me the heebie-jeebies. Um, so watching her do somersaults, watching her do cartwheels. I'm just, yeah, I don't like it. It's not fun for me. Um, but so basically I don't have any relaxation. All I think about in every waking moment is, oh God, what could happen to either of my children at any moment? Parenting. It's fun. All right. Will watching UCLA football and UCLA basketball be better, worse, or the same next season? Both better. Let's live in an optimistic world, True Bruin 25. I think they will both be better and more fun and we will all live in happiness and joy forever. Bruin, 2000-2010, which player do you expect to make the greatest jump in performance this season on the offense, on the defense, i.e. breakout performers on the offense? I Again, one practice, but I really liked what Jake Burton looked like. I could see that. I could see him being a good, maybe number two offensive lineman after boss. Um, if you want another one, um, talk me into, you know, Devin Asiasi looking great. Maybe he's going to be Caleb Wilson. Or like 90% of Caleb Wilson. And that'd be awesome. Um, on the defense. Um, you know what? I thought uh, Keyshawn Looser South looked better than I've seen him. Um, Odua Isabor actually looks like he was moving better. Um, and he his body looks... He looks like kind of a, a pass rushing outside guy. I don't know if it's going to turn out that way. But 
one practice, he looked pretty mobile. Um, oh, what? Rayshad Williams, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to be a player this year. He's going to play more and be pretty good. Um, Quentin Lake, I think, is a stud. Um, but Quentin Lake, I think, is a guy who's kind of known already. Um, yeah, I have some combination of those guys. Uh, I think all the, it's, the thing is, so many young guys played last year that it's not like any of them are like super unknowns at this point. Um, Spencer 77, uh, you asked a question that I believe I had Blair answer. KJL, why does Tracy hate Chip? I don't think Tracy hates Chip. I think that's a silly assessment. Um, I don't think anybody hates Chip. I don't, uh, certainly not, um, here. I think we have some skepticism based on year one, um, that we didn't have going into it, um, and I think, look, I think the board is obviously split right now. Um, KJL, I think you're maybe on the on on one side of the split. Um, that and I, look, I I I hate doing the the whole split analysis and psychoanalysis of our message board because it drives me insane. Um, but look, we have people on the board who are geared to be more critical. Some might say hypercritical. Um, and it's always, and I, I did this whole thing on the basketball board and I think I could probably translate it over to football, but I'm very kind of process oriented. Um, and so if the process sucks, I have a hard time projecting forward to see it being great. Um, and so year one, the process sucked and it was mostly recruiting related, but not completely. I mean, I thought the process kind of sucked through the season too. I, I, I'm still not completely sold that they needed to go three and nine, um, that they needed to jettison all the bodies that they jettisoned and that they needed to do this full from the studs rebuild of the program. Um, maybe they did, maybe, but I just don't know. And, um, I don't take a lot on faith. Um, I used to take more, um, but what I have learned over the years is that, um, Many people you would otherwise assume are good at their jobs are not. Um, and it's just look around you at any job you've ever had and look at all the people who are bad at what they're doing. And remember that we do not actually live in a meritocracy. So then look at any industry, whatever percentage there are working next to you at whatever job you've ever had who aren't good at their jobs, it probably translates to every industry out there. There's some percentage of people who are just not good at their jobs. Simply because a football coach is paid X amount of money doesn't mean that they're good at every aspect of their job. It just, I, I think we all, because we don't necessarily understand everything they're doing, we just assume they know what they're doing. And I've gotten more skeptical of that belief over the years. Um, and so it informs my attitude towards these things. I think for other people, they don't buy that. And look, there's... There's two things I hold in my head at one at any given moment. I know much less about this crap than probably any of these assistant coaches and Chip Kelly. And then with that, I also hold there's also some stuff at their jobs that they're probably really bad at um, because everyone's got aspects of their job that they don't prefer or that they're not good at. Um, and one of the tricky things, and it's the Dunning-Kruger syndrome, which is 
your areas of incompetency you're often unaware of. You often don't know um, what you're bad at because you have a false sense of um, competence there. Um, you're so incompetent that you don't even know how bad you are at it. Um, and that is kind of a, a, not a universal thing, but a lot of people are prone to that. Um, so basically what I'm saying is there's a portion of the board who I think has skepticism about, um, uh, the, the nature of what's going on in the football program. And then I think there's a portion of the board that is still like, Hey, what the hell guys, we got Chip Kelly. It was one bad year and now it's going to be fine. Um, they they figured everything out and these were minor issues anyway. You know, they went three and nine and the program was completely screwed up and now they're, it's going to be fine. Why are you guys constantly bitching about this? And I think that's a completely legitimate viewpoint. Uh, people tell me I'm too negative all the time. It's like, that's, that's fine. I'm fine with, with that nature of the argument. The whole thing is we're going to see a lot more coming up soon. If the board could be like a little bit less ad hominy about it, you know, and I think it's on both sides. Um, but I think the nature of the the people who still have a lot of faith in it is that their critique of the other side is mainly, well, why are you guys getting so critical this early? And that easily goes into ad hominem, which is you guys are just a bunch of critical cranks. Um, and whereas the other side is like making a, it's talking about a lot of different stuff. It's talking about well, look at these recruiting failures. Look at the failure on the field. Like, these are bad issues. So that's more issue-oriented. And just by nature of it, because essentially what the what the positive people or, or people who are prone to be a little bit more positive are saying right now is, well, yeah, it wasn't great, but let's 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 be more positive because, look, we got Chip Kelly. It's, it'll probably still turn out fine. And I think that's completely rational, but it's just – that one is taking things a little bit more patiently. Um, and maybe the other side is just a little bit less patient. Um, so anyway, that's my whole thing. It wasn't really a response to your question. I don't think Tracy hates Chip Kelly. Bruin 1934. Um, you, your question got answered by Blair. Uh, Bruin BB1. What are your biggest areas of concern for the upcoming season? Pass rush, special teams, QB or LB or lack of depth on OL or, um, okay, so my concerns would probably be pass rush and um, probably pass rush. Um, I think special teams, you know, I, I can't really say that's an area of concern because I don't even know what they would do to fix it at this point. Um, but it is like, obviously, they were bad this year, so... Yeah, that, that would be an area where I would want them to improve, but I'm just going to assume they will. Um, new coach in place, seeing how bad they were last year. Yeah, that, that, I, I'm just going to assume that that gets better because uh, that is like an attention to detail thing. If they if they suck on special teams again, I'm going to have a lot of issues, a lot, a lot more issues than they have right now. Uh, pass rush, though, I think is probably one of the critical pieces. Uh, they need to do better at that because it made the DBs look a lot worse than they were last year. Uh, made the defense as a whole struggle more, made them try to blitz more than they probably should have. So that's maybe one of the – that's probably the biggest issue for me. I, I'm I'm not sold the offensive line is going to be that huge of an issue um, if they can bring in, like, a transfer and, um, you know, not suffer catastrophic injuries in the meantime. Um, if they do suffer a bunch of injuries, yeah, that'll be, a, that'll be an issue. Um, 
But right now, I think they'll come up with a starting five just fine. There's probably... That's the one where I really do think they need to take in a, a transfer or two. Um, if they don't do that by fall, then yeah, I'll add that to the list of things I'm worried about. Um, quarterback, eh. I mean, I think they'll be fine. I think getting another guy in who's a transfer who has some experience would be good, but not... I, I think they can get through a year with just ETR and Burton. It wouldn't be ideal, but they could. Um, so pass rush, to a certain extent, depth on the offensive line. Special teams, kind of just in background, but yeah. Um, all right, and then what are your breakout pay- players this upcoming season? I think I already answered that one. Um, all right, top C, I have your question being answered by Blair. Um, Bruin Cuz, since you started covering recruiting, which UCLA recruit has most exceeded your expectations as a player? Conversely, which recruit most underachieved compared to your expectations? All right, most exceeded my expectations. Um, I would say Jayon Brown. Um, I really wasn't expecting much from him at all, and then he was so good in college, and now he's a pro. That that one kind of blows my mind. Uh, conversely, which recruit most underachieved compared to your expectations? Um... All right, let's think. So five stars UCLA's gotten. Jalen Phillips. Um, I mean, I had big expectations, but you can't really blame that. A lot of injuries. Um, you know, it's uh, Eddie Vanderdose. I thought he was going to be better than he was. I don't know if an underachieving is, an, is a proper thing to say about a guy who went to the NFL. Um Priest Willis, I always, I never thought he was going to be great, so that one didn't really mess me up too bad. Uh, boy, let me see if I can find a good example. Hang on. Hang on, people out there. Yeah, I didn't look at these questions ahead of time. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? All right. Uh, making my noises. Let's go back to the 2014 class. Let's look at that one. All right. Uh... You know what? Kenny Young. I thought Kenny Young was going to be great watching his high school film, and then I thought he struggled his entire UCLA career. Um, and I know he's an NFL player. I, I completely get that. But I, I I thought he was going to be such a stud watching his high school stuff, and it just never really translated for me. Um, anybody else in here makes sense? Let's look at 2013. And I'm going to, like, not the guys who, like, washed out for, like, drugs or something stupid. Um, Devin Lucian would be another one. um, Because even up to his final year, he wasn't, he never really did anything. And that dude's redshirt year, he was such a stud in, on, on scout team that it was kind of wild to me that he never really made a huge impact. Um... All the other ones kind of made sense to me. I mean, Pawasi Mawala, um, just never being able to gain that weight um, and get better, maybe. Uh, yeah, that's probably my answers right now. Um, so J.M. Brown on that side, and then a, kind of a few different guys on the other side. <clears throat> All right. Now we have to get back to where we were because I used the same browser tab that I was using for this, the broadcast mailbag. So you get to listen to me click around on my computer some more. It's good for you. It's lots of fun. 
All right. And now, um, Red7861, besides DTR, who specifically are you watching, hoping this spring to make a huge leap in their performance? Um, okay, so this is, I'll take this as a slightly different question from the other one so I can actually answer it. Um, who basically is critical um, to uh, making this team better this year? Um, I'm going to need Chris Barnes to continue to get a lot better. Um, I thought he made some strides last year. I think he needs to be a dominant player this year. I think it's out there for him, but I think it needs to happen. Um, I'm going to need uh, our dude, Keyshawn Lucier South, to be an actual pass rusher off the edge, to be basically what Jalen Phillips was supposed to be. Um, I think it's out there for him. I think he hasn't had the typical path of a five-star these days, which is making an immediate impact and leaving in three years. But I think he has slowly progressed and now starts to look a little bit more like what people were expecting. And I think his final year, I think it's definitely possible for him to make a huge impact off the edge. Um, gonna want to see a lot out of... Boy, I would say Jake Burton, because I'm suddenly counting on him to play a lot of tackle. I'm going to need him to, you know, maybe maybe be the starting left tackle. I'm pretty good. Um, I want Theo Howard to go from being having the statistical profile of a solid number two guy to being a thousand yard receiver. That needs to happen this year. So um, I think those guys are, are guys who have been around who need to make an impact, um, need to make a bigger impact than they were. All right, uh, next page. So we got through one page. All right, uh, JV Hockey 01. Based on projected starters only, not depth, too deep, rank the position groups on each side of the ball going into fall season. All right, um, on defense, I would say DBs, D-line, linebackers. That would be my ranking. On offense, I would say um, running back, receivers tight end, quarterback, offensive line. Yeah, I don't feel great about that one. Let's go. Yeah, but I don't even think I, I you could maybe put quarterback at the bottom and say offensive line before quarterback. Yeah, let's do that. All right, um, Bruin thirteen seventeen. Why isn't UCLA taking more advantage of USC's continuous debacles in regards to athletics, specifically recruiting? I I, I wouldn't think of it as this like zero sum thing with USC. Um, I, I think UCLA has its own issues, and that's why um, it's all the stuff we've gone over. I don't think there's like some specific way of recruiting against USC that's wholly different from the way UCLA should be recruiting anyway. Um, USC has fallen off in recruiting. They were like a top 20-ish, top 25-ish class this year. Um, there's an opportunity there for UCLA if they figure their own crap out to obviously take advantage of that. But I think in doing so, it's just UCLA recruiting how UCLA should be recruiting. Um, they don't need to like adjust things to – I don't know if that makes sense. They don't need to like sit there thinking about, oh, how are we going to recruit against USC? It's just how are we going to recruit properly? And uh, once they figure that out, they'll be fine. Uh, CK Fresh, uh, Blair's answering your question. Um, 
Choney 19, the consensus is the staff is recruiting harder than last year, but that's not saying much. In your opinion, are they recruiting at an acceptable enough level to bring in a recruiting class that is UCLA level, say top 10, 20? Um, I think Blair might be getting to this, but I'd say yeah. Um, it's still very early, and we'll see if the communication keeps up through June and July, but yeah, sure, why not? Two, what tweaks would you like to see to the UCLA offense to keep it humming and improving? Um... I'd like to see more tempo. I know I know I'm a broken record in that regard, but I'd like to see more. Um I'd like to see them uh build in some more elements of a quarterback run game. Um but I liked what I saw at the end of last year. It looked pretty damn good. So I'm not even uh, I'm not even really thinking about the offense right now. 3. Are there any other sports teams, pro or college you are passionate about following? Do you enjoy Atlanta sports? No, honestly, um other, following other stuff has been kind of burned out of me. Um, when I had kids, I decided I was going to, um, I wasn't going to be that guy. And I know a lot of you out there are, and it's like a personal choice and it's whatever. I wasn't going to occupy the entire weekend in the fall with football. So I I was like, okay, I'm choosing college or, or NFL. Well, college, obviously. So I don't watch any NFL really until the Super Bowl. Um, and I have not noticed the lack. Um, it's fine. NBA, I watched a lot um, up through and after college, but again, like sort of right around when I had kids, I'm just like, I don't have time to sit around watching a lot of NBA. So it's basically what I have to do for this job, uh, watching college football, and and I do that beyond what I do for this job. Like I do, I I watch a lot of college football for enjoyment, Um, and then college basketball, um, which I pretty much am watching UCLA, though I'll, I'll, I'll actually watch the occasional other game. Um, but other than that, I'm not watching a whole lot of sports these days. I just, there, there's not enough time, and my kids are too young to be super interested in it, and then I feel like kind of a deadbeat. I don't know. A lot of, uh, a lot of personal neuroses coming in there, but um, I just I, I can't bring myself to sit around on the couch watching, watching sports all day. Uh, M. Bruck. Hi, Darth Beard. I'm sure someone else will ask the football question I want answered. So instead, what are your thoughts on the Disney Fox merger? You think we'll finally get a good X-Men and, uh, and, uh, Fantastic Four movie now that Marvel can make it? Also, you rock, dude. Okay, so actually, going back to the hobbies thing, one thing I've really gotten into is watching these dumb, dumb, dumb Marvel movies. They're so dumb and good. I love them. Um, anyway, um... My thoughts on the merger are probably wholly different from my thoughts about the uh, cool little things that could be made out of it. Um, I think the constant merging of all of these big, big companies into even bigger and bigger companies is probably not a good thing. You can read more more of my thoughts on that in uh, Das Kapital. Um, you, and then um, what uh, what do I think about a good X-Men and, and Fantastic Four movie? I think that'd be awesome. That part's great. Um, the other part's not so much, um, but that part would be great. Um and uh, I think getting the X because the X Men should be part of this whole like Marvel universe crap. Um, so it would be like super cool if they were part of this. Um, but it is kind of a different deal. Um, I mean, they, they and maybe it's a lot of it's tainted by the way Fox has handled it. But like so much, like it's just built into like teen angst and stuff with the X Men that I don't even know if they really apply to um, what Marvel uh, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is doing. Anyway, uh, that's my thoughts on that. Uh, Marco Bruin 8, what is the worst and best record you can see UCLA having this season? Uh, worst, I'd probably go down to 4-8 and eight 
best, I'd probably go up to... Look, if that offense hums, defense gets a little bit better, I could see him going to 8-4, and 9-3. and three. I could see that happening. Anything beyond that, I think, is, is pie in the sky. But 8-4, and 9-3, and three, sure, why not? <clears throat> Bruin Duro, in the Wilner POC episode, he insinuated that the transfer portal was causing great distress to athletic departments who would be campaigning for it to be modified. I hadn't heard about this. And the idea about what facets of his existence are the major pain points and how the ADs would be trying to modify it. Well, I think um, it being it being there, um, I think, makes it so it's uncertain for a lot of coaches, like who's going to be there, who isn't, and so it's harder to plan. Um I haven't heard the pervasive issue. I know Wilner said that, but I hadn't heard a whole lot of that. Um, but I would say planning for the fall semester or quarter with not knowing who's going to be on the roster and planning for recruiting that way is, is tough. And, um, you know, I think there are, there's also an element where if a guy puts his name in the transfer portal and then nobody bites, is he going to be allowed back on the team? What are the dynamics there? And that's a tricky piece, too. Um, I know it just happened across town. Uh, Greg Johnson put his name in and then took it out, and now he's back to practice. But that's got to be a headache for some athletic departments to you know, figure out, okay, well, what is our policy going to be here? Um, and if it was a little less public when guys are in the transfer portal, maybe that would be a little bit easier to um, manage. So I don't know. I'm sure there's some tweaks they want to make. I don't know um, how extensive those tweaks would be. All right, uh, Bruins 32, who do you think will be named the head coach of the men's basketball team? Let's live in optimism, everyone. Tony Bennett, let's do it. Who is your number one sleeper for the football team in the upcoming season? I'm assuming you mean a player. Um, I've answered this a bunch of times. Uh, I don't know if they're a sleeper. Uh, Whatever, Jake Burton, let's go with it. Um, Who is your favorite bro, reporter, contributor, moderator to hang out with? Oh, man. Again, you're asking me to pick my kids. We're talking, again, Brandon Huffman is cuddlier than everybody. So, look, you have your answer. Farpoint. Your top choice for the new basketball coach that is actually attainable. I just said, do you ever have any contact with the assistant football coaches? Would it help in recruiting if some of the assistants could be interviewed and be able to show their personality or potential recruits and their families? Um, uh, so yeah, no, we don't, uh, the, these assistant football coaches are not available to the media. Um, and so I think that is detrimental in a couple of ways. First, yes, for the reason you're saying. And also look, the nature of what we're doing, the nature of what they're doing, they kind of align, um, you know, recruiting reporters are talking to kids all the time. Um, assistant coaches are doing their thing all the time. Um, having a relationship can be beneficial um and making them available to the media is one way to grow that relationship so i don't know i I think there's a lot of reasons um why it would be good to uh, make them available and i think it's probably a lot of insular coaching nonsense stuff why they are not available um a lot of kind of controlling um maybe a little bit of megalomania you know whatever um, and it's not just Chip Kelly. I think it's a lot of uh, a lot of programs around the country uh, do this, where they don't have um, their assistance available to the media. And I think it is probably detrimental to interest in the sport and uh, to uh, recruiting coverage and probably the actual recruiting itself. Anyway, 
All right, Econ Bruin. During recruiting season, a number of recruits indicated that their UCLA visit was businesslike. Okay, so this is one I had Blair answer. Jackie Treehorn 213, probably more of a Tracy question, but any idea when 247 will launch a mobile app? Tracy said it was in the works when the site transitioned, but that was almost two years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, uh, I will try to forward this to Tracy. Football question, if you could trade Chip and his staff for any other current Pac-12 South staff, who would you swap Kelly out for? Wow. Mm, nobody. Yeah, nobody. Nope. Yep. No. We'll, we'll, we'll go with what brung us. Um, I don't see anybody out there who's clearly better. Uh, the Arizona staffs, no. Um, Colorado, no. USC, obviously, no. The only one I would even think about is Utah, but even that, they're uh, what works at Utah, I don't know if that's going to work at UCLA. So, no, I mean, uh, Kelly's probably the best in the South, and we'll just see where this goes. True mismatch. I personally think Jerry Neuheisel has a bright future in coaching as he is smart, engaging, and knows the game. Plus, he loves his alma mater. Do you think it would help recruiting if they positioned him as a primary recruiter? I think it could. I heard great things about his impact on, I think, Charles Nujoku. I don't Njoku? Probably Njoku. Um, I, I heard great things that he was, you know, maybe the guy who was talking to him a lot and making him feel welcomed. And I think that had an impact on him on his official visit. Um, so, and it makes sense. I mean, knowing Jerry um, and knowing him when he was in school, uh, he's super personable. He's got leadership qualities. He's got all that stuff. So I, I think he has a future as a coach. Um, and I think he's going to be an assistant at some school, maybe UCLA before too long has passed. Um, but yeah, I think he's uh He's definitely a guy on the rise. Mr. Bruin, 1919. Does Chip Kelly have any social media? Not that I know of. If not, will that help him recruit like a lot of other top coaches have? I think it could help. I don't know if he's the social media type of guy, but I think it could help. Um, it's another way to talk to kids. I don't know if he has maybe a private account. I know Jim Mora had that for a while where he was just uh, messaging kids from like a UCLA head coach account or something maybe chip kelly has something like that but he has no public profile that i know of ucla 789 david any chance you can weigh in on how having only 70 ish scholarship players is likely to affect the ucla football program this year and going forward um okay so i've seen this topic on the board a lot um and a lot of people are i think making some flawed assumptions which is if you if you have 70 guys, well, do the last 15 guys on your roster even play that much? No, they don't. So it doesn't matter. Um, well, the extra 15 guys aren't necessarily your worst 15 guys. Um, if you'd taken 15 more guys in the last couple of cycles and transfers and all that kind of stuff, some of those guys might have ended up being your best guys. What you've done is you've limited your pool of people to develop. Um, and so you don't know who would have been good out of those 15 guys. It's not simply... You can't simply accept as fact that those 15 guys would have been your worst players. So put that there. Then, um, okay, say they even are your worst players. Well, what's better? Having your worst scholarship players play or having your best walk-ons play? Um, I'm going to answer that for you because I think a lot of people have a mistaken impression about walk-ons. It's your worst scholarship players. You want those guys playing. Um, because walk-ons, yeah, there's a Sam Marazzo out there. There's a Jay Smalley out there. There's also a lot of guys who can't play, and we realize that as soon as we watch them having to play. 
Um, and it's one thing to have a guy who works hard in practice, and it's another thing to have a guy who can actually stand up against, say, a 260-pound Pac-12 D end and hold their own at tackle. Um, that's not easy. So uh, you want you want the depth because if you have to play them, you want to be able to play your scholarship guys. Um, you want them because they might not even end up being your worst players. They might end up being among your best. Um, you want them because special teams is a part of the game. And last year, UCLA was playing about half walk-ons by the end of the year on special teams. So you want them for that. Um, there's so many different reasons to want to fill out your roster to at least 80, um, but but as close to 85 as you can get. Um, that I don't think there's a rational argument in its favor. I think you can make an argument it's not a huge deal, but I don't buy that argument either. I think it is a huge deal. If it wasn't a huge deal, um, if it wasn't a huge deal, more teams would be doing this. Like it's not like it's a strategy to have 70 guys. Why would you want to do that? What makes sense there? So um, anyway, there's a lot of reasons why having 70 is not great. Uh, Chip Kelly talked about new NCAA rules only allowing 25 scholarship players a year and also said that due to these rules, we will be down on scholarship players for a few more years. These comments seem disingenuous at best. Chip being uninformed just does not seem thinkable. Okay, here's one of the things where I want to address this. Chip being uninformed about a recruiting rule seems unthinkable to a lot of people. How many things about your job out there do you just like, oh, gosh, I forgot about that, or I didn't know that, or oh, yeah, all the time, right? Like, that happens. It's not like a personality flaw. Sometimes you're just not, like, you don't remember certain things about your job. Him not knowing the exact rule could be possible. Like, I, I think a lot of people have this mistaken impression that because somebody is at the, like, top of their profession, they never make a mistake. They do, all the time. Every role I mean, people can be so critical about our government because they think all those people are incompetent. Well, just translate that to anything. Those are the tim- the, the pinnacle of people in government. The pinnacle people in any, in the industry can make mistakes and be incompetent and bad. Um, Chip, not knowing the full, the full uh, impact of a rule about recruiting, that's completely normal. Like, that could be, that could 100% be true. So, uh, just... I, I wouldn't always operate under the assumption that everyone has perfect knowledge of everything they're doing. I think it's a silly thing to to believe. Anyway, um, let's say that he d- does or doesn't know it. What do you make of these comments by the chip? By the chip. I like that. Um, well, I, I think it reflects um, – I, I think it's incorrect first. Um, and then I don't know if it reflects a, an, a, a either him being disingenuous or – a lack of understanding about the rule doesn't matter. Um, they should be operating under the assumption they can take probably at least 30 this coming cycle and maybe even a couple more gray shirts. Um, so I would I, I, I don't think it's by necessity that it'll take f- a few more years to get close to 85. I think they can get close to 85 if they don't have a ton of attrition this year. Um, but if they only take 25 a year, yeah, it will be a few years away. Um, Augie West, I've got, uh, Blair answering your question. No prevent D hypothetical questions. Don't ask chip. If we were to play Cincinnati this Saturday, what would the line be? Would we win the game? Uh, the line would be Cincinnati minus four and UCLA would win. Tucson Bruin, Arizona. Greetings from the Sonoran desert beard. What's the better show? The office or parks and recs? Thanks. And I'll take your answer off air. I didn't like either. 
Tucson Bruin, Arizona. I didn't. I'm sorry. Um, but if I was picking one, it would be Parks and Rec. Jerry for UCLA. Um, Blair answered your question. Uh, King Yada. Blair answered your question. Bruins for life. Blair answered your question. Yen and James, can you provide some insight what happened with Justin Murphy? Chip and others seem to indicate that JM was always going to be a one-year player since his grad program was a one-year degree. If he was truly going to be just a one-year player, why did UCLA fight so hard to establish that extra year for JM? And given the tough admissions process for most grad programs, it seems that we'll most be, mostly be looking at grad transfers with just one year of eligibility. Yeah, I don't... I, I'm sure a lot of that is Chip and the others not wanting to be kind of too um, negative about a kid as he's leaving. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of interesting that they did do a lot of work for him to get him into school or get him another year of eligibility and then he moved on. Maybe there was a, an understanding to that effect. I don't know. Um, but we heard kind of a mixed thing about this. So I'm not entirely sure what the true story is here, but UCLA is operating very, very gracefully about it. So let's let's all do the same. Good luck to uh, Justin Murphy going forward. Uh, Dr. Spiceman, what do you dislike most about the mailbag? A, repeat questions. B, questions that have already been addressed on the forum. C, multiple questions per post. D, all of the above. Definitely the repeat questions because, uh, look, just read, just read the other ones. All right, uh, Bruin13 fan. Regards to football, do you expect a huge improvement in all facets of the game versus last year's squad? If so, what are you expecting to see? Thanks, David. Um, I expect the offense to be pretty good. I expect special teams to get a lot better. Um, and then defense, I'm still waiting to see. I, I want to see some stuff um, or hear some stuff out of spring and then uh, and then decide whether that's going to get a whole lot better. But I think special teams, by necessity, has to get better. Um, and uh, I think an increased focus, different coach, that whole thing might help. And then offense, I, I saw enough last year that I think it'll be a lot better. Um, and then defense, just that's still wait and see for me. Bruins 08, who on the current roster do you believe has pro potential? Based on spring practice, have some guys jumped into the draft-worthy category compared to where they were last year? All right, pro potential out of this. All right. Theo Howard, I think, will be, um, you know, I, I think he'll be in a camp, probably a late-round pick. Um, Devin Asiasi, I think, is a potential pro. Um, Boss Tagaloa, potential pro. Um, Chris Murray, a potential pro. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, yeah. Uh, Joshua Kelly, obviously. Uh, no one else is jumping out to me. I'm sure somebody's screaming a name on offense. Um, on defense, uh, Antonio Mafi. I just don't know um, how his body's going to continue to progress. Um, Atito Ugbania makes a lot of sense. His body looks like an NFL player. Uh, Oso Digizua. Uh, I don't know yet. Um, we'll see another year of this. Um, Linebacking core, hard to see it right now. I think DBs, there's a lot of those guys who, who I mean, obviously Darnay Holmes, but Clint, Quentin Lake, I think, is going to be a potential pro. Um, yeah, nobody else is really jumping out to me right now. I'm sure somebody's got some thoughts out there, but that's who I would think of right now. All right, that's it for the football questions. Let's now move on to basketball, which I'm sure is just going to be 1,000 different uh, variations on who's the next coach going to be. All right. 
O'Bannon rules. Who are your top five coaching candidates right now in order of preference? All right. Number one, Tony Bennett. Um, I think that one makes the most sense. I think he would be the easiest home run candidate. I think he would immediately walk in and just be an absolute killer, would win the Pac-12 with regularity, would just murder it, just be so, so good. All right, so he's number one. Um, After that, it's kind of a lot of... I, I like I don't even know if I have a really clear number two right now is hey, probably the way I would put it. it. Um, let me, I'm going to turn off my speakers now because they're auto playing all the wonderful videos on Bruin Report Online. Um, I think my number two is uh, look. I'm interested in the Matt Painter thing. Um, I think. He could be really good. Am I skeptical of whether or not he would leave Purdue? Yeah. But I think that could be really good. That's maybe my number two um, because he's been really good for a really long time. Um, I like Thad Mata. I think it's maybe getting a little overblown what he was doing when his back was just like fully destroyed there at the end of his time at uh, at Ohio State. Um, and he's only 51, which is crazy to me. He looks like he's 70. Um, so I think he would be really good. Um, after that, I would honestly just take flyers on guys. I mean, I, I'm not super impressed with what Mike Hopkins has done so far. I'm not super impressed with Jamie Dixon. I know Tracy and uh, I, I, I get the argument there. I'm not a huge fan. Um, and TCU has kind of fallen off rapidly this year. Uh, Kevin Keats, I, I think that's he is almost in the flyer category at this point just because uh, NC State has not had a great year um, after the, uh, a pretty good start to the season. Um, I still think there's a lot to like there, um, him being a, a, a good coach at every level. Um, but sure, if you want to make the argument, the upside maybe isn't there. Um, not a huge Mick Cronin guy. So I would probably like then drop down to like a Nate Oates and um, – you know, see what would happen there. Maybe even a Steve Prom, the uh, the Ohio, the Iowa State guy. Um, but yeah, I would probably have a topish three of Tony Bennett, Thad Mata, and Matt Painter, and then uh, and then kind of drop down from there to uh, to other lesser known candidates. All right, um, let's see. Back to the mailbag. All right. Kirk71, do premier coaching candidates view UCLA as a premier destination anymore? Yes, I still do think that. Um, Especially, uh, I I think, older coaches, um, ones who've been around a while, I think they understand the impact that UCLA can make um, on just recruiting and and being a top program. And it wasn't that long ago that they were. I mean, Ben Howland was 10 years ago, and they were Final Fours every year. Um, So... Yeah, I, I still do think that's the pervasive idea. I mean, it's probably not. I think there are probably five jobs that are maybe considered better than UCLA right now, but I still think it's pretty comfortably a top 10 job. Um, North Bruin 40. David, do you feel that UCLA basketball coaching search should be viewed in a series of tiers, or would you encourage a binary interpretation? Um, all right, so I would probably interpret things... Um, I think it's t- I think it's actually kind of both because I think the tiers represent um, 
it's almost like how we should be thinking about the percentage likelihood that one of these guys is good. Um, and I think that's probably the proper way to approach the search. But at the end of the day, it's going to be a binary interpretation of whether or not they were successful at UCLA. Um, so one is like very results oriented and one is very process oriented. The tiers is the process. The binary is, well, what ends up happening? Um, and I think approaching it as a series of tiers, you're looking at it as, um, you know, there are, there's, these guys have a 90% chance of, of succeeding UCLA. These guys have a 70% chance. These guys have a 50% chance. These guys have a 20% chance. Um, but at the end of the day, whether they hit or not is going to be fully binary. All right. Um, true mismatch. David, I quit watching UCLA basketball after Ball and Leaf left. Sports are supposed to be a distraction from our daily routine, but I found myself caring too much and it wasn't doing me any good. Like Colin Coward said, never love a team, just like them. My question is, why is it so hard to hire a coach that can recruit, teach fundamentals, and get them to play up to their t- potential? I'm not talking about having a national contender every year, just a team that is fun to watch and doesn't beat itself. Is that so hard? Apparently. Um, look, when you... uh. When you have zombie Ben Howland for five years, and then you have Steve Alford for six years, uh, you're going to end up with a team that's not a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, I think it's completely possible to have a coach who's just a good coach. And I think that's... I'm I'm reasonably confident with Tracy that that's going to be the end result of this search. I've heard great things about um, the, the sites, where UCLA is setting its sites, um, I think they're going to end up with a good result. Um, could it could it end up happening to end up with some debt again? Yeah, but the process I think has been good. Um, I'm 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 reasonably sure of that at this point. Now, um, so will that result in a coach who's pretty good? I, I think so. Um, uh, could it end up with uh, another Alfred S guy? Yeah, probably. I mean, if they get down far enough on their list, I'm sure there's somebody who's not a sure thing, but. Um, I think, I, I, I think the days of, of just watching just awful UCLA basketball should be numbered here. Um, and, uh, with the season now over, uh, hopefully we never have to deal with that again. All right. Uh, Asni Yoda, ACN Yoda, eighteen ten. David, how do you feel our coaching search is going? I love the process. Do you like the candidates we are targeting and feel like we are making a good hire this time around? Yep. As I just said, um, I think uh, the process has been good, and I feel pretty good right now about them uh, landing a good coach. Alex M. underscore Scout on September 1, 2020. Who is the UCLA Athletic Director? I'm going to go Josh Rebholtz. UCLA hack. What's your take on candidates that are hot commodities now but lack experience versus ones that have experience but aren't splashy hires? Um, I would always go, I, I, well, it's, it's a, it's a sliding scale. Um, I probably prioritize for UCLA a little bit more experience, um, over being a hot commodity because that denotes like having one good year or something like that. Um, I don't. I haven't really identified like a lot of super unknowns who look great. I think Nate Oates probably is the one who like gets categorized that the closest. But even he's starting to get known a little bit more. Um, so, I would probably prioritize experience at UCLA just because it is a big job. There's a there's, you know, Ben Howland was an experienced experienced coach when he took the job, and I think that's kind of the guy you gotta. That's the type of guy you're looking for this time around. Somebody who 
has experience being great at other schools and can translate that to UCLA. Um, now, if you can't get that, um, then it becomes like I, I'm. I guess what I'm saying is, I, well, I guess the opposite of what I'm saying is, I don't want Mike Bray. Um, he's got a ton of experience of being like just fine, but he's not great. Um, I would prefer to take a flyer on a guy like Nate Oates over Mike Bray. So I don't know if that anecdote answers your question, but it's going to be kind of, I, I don't know if I have like a, an, a maxim about this. I, I think it's going to be dependent on who the guys are that we're talking about. Um, all right, Bruins 86. David, who do you expect to be on the roster next year? I believe we are two over if everybody returns, so there will be some roster turnover. Also, what are the realistic chances of getting Cassius Stanley and will there be a roster spot for him? Um, last I heard was that they could still make a good run at Cassius Stanley. And, um, I think there would be a spot available for him because I think there's going to be some turnover. Um, I think I'm having a hard time seeing hands and Wilkes on next year's team. Maybe it happens. I'm just having a hard time seeing it. I don't know what Moses Brown is thinking right now. I don't think he's a draftable guy right now. Um, so I think he should return, but I don't know. Um, and then AO and uh, Prince Ali, they could both grad transfer. I wouldn't be shocked if either of them or both of them do. Um, and then there could be some just weird attrition that happens. Cody Riley almost went pro last year. Does anybody remember that? That was weird. Um, so I, maybe something weird happens there again. Uh, so there's a lot of guys I think are in flux. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the new coach, who they prioritize, who they say, hey, it might be a good idea for you to transfer. Um, and I think there's always room, I think, for a new coach to say to Olesinski or Prince Ali, depending on how the numbers shake out, hey, guys, you're probably not going to play a ton. Um, so it might be a great idea. This could be a great opportunity for you to grad transfer and play your senior season somewhere else where you'll get a ton of minutes. Um, and that's a completely normal and fine thing to do. Both guys, I think, will have graduated by that point because they'll be four years. So, um, you know, I, I don't think there would even be hard feelings there. Um, and that would probably give them room to get Cassius Stanley in if just one of Wilkes' hands or Brown leaves. So um, I don't think the numbers are going to turn out to be that big of an issue. If anything, they might end up a little bit light. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Uh, Flyfisher1 underscore scout. If they strike out on Tony Bennett, who do you see them going after next? I think Thad Mata um, might be the number one candidate after Bennett. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening there. Um, we have still not heard that Tony Bennett has said no. So that's that's still a good sign. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff's going to shake out uh, towards the end of the NCAA tournament. All right, everybody, now I'm going to leave it to Blair to answer your recruiting questions about football, and then we will be done. Thank you for listening. All right, thanks, Dave. Uh, this will be the recruiting portion of the broadcast. I'm uh, going to tackle some of the hard-hitting recruiting questions. Obviously, UCLA now ramping up its efforts in the 2020 class, and we're going to kick it off with East Bay Bruin fan who asks, Many teams have their coaches assigned to a particular geographical area. Does UCLA coach it? Do UCLA coaches have an assigned area? If so, what are they? If not, what is the structure of UCLA's recruiting? Uh, they do. They do have an assigned area as well as obviously their assigned positions. Um, you know, for instance, Coach Paul Rhodes is recruiting the state of Arizona, um, but obviously Deshaun Foster. 
the running backs coach will, you know, go in and, and start recruiting some of the running backs that they target. Uh, in that case, it would be Bajon Robinson hearing from both Paul Rhodes, the area recruiter, and from Deshaun Foster, his positional recruiter. Uh, another example, Jason Kaufusi, the new uh, assistant that comes over from Nevada. He's recruiting the state of Nevada. He's recruiting Utah. He is recruiting Hawaii, uh, regardless of position. Um, you know, but if there was a certain spot or, or a certain position in the state of Hawaii, say offensive line, then they would hear from Justin Fry as well. So, um, yeah, they do. Uh, I think that's across the board. That's what happens in, in every college program. Um, there's coaches that are used to uh, just recruiting their own area, but also they have they have their own positional responsibilities and, and they have to fill the roster based on the position that they coach. And, and UCLA is definitely doing that. Blue Lemon 3, his question goes as follows. He says, in regards to 2020 UCLA recruiting, if you had to bet $1,000 today, which scenario would you bet? Option number one is UCLA finishes with a top 10 class. Say goodbye to your $1,000. Option number option number two, UCLA finishes between 11 and 20. I don't see that happening either. They would need to jump about 20 spots uh, after having come in at 41 in this 2019 class with 19 commits. Option number three, UCLA finishes between 21 and 30. That's a little bit more realistic. I, I could see them making a jump, you know, in, into that top 30. And, you know, with the sense of urgency that they have shown so far early on in this 2020 cycle, you can maybe imagine them making some strides on the recruiting side of things. And option number four, UCLA finishes outside the top 30. I would say that UCLA finishes between 21 and 30. I, I just think there are too many recruits out West and they would have to miss on a lot of people for them not to get that. Uh, bonus question from Blue Lemon 3 is, um, if TP was a Disney princess, which would he be and why? Um, this is a tough one, a very tough one, because Tracy... I mean, honestly, he could be a lot of Disney princesses. There's a there's a lot of uh, choices. He could be, you know, maybe a Mulan character. He's kind of rugged in in that regard. Uh, but I'm gonna go with Ariel. I think he likes the sun. I think he likes water, and 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 he's got some mermaid qualities. So definitely Ariel. Coast to coast, thirty two. He asks, does Chip Kelly's name? carry the same genius reputation with today's recruits that it does with slightly older farts who remember watching his devastating Oregon blur offense. I've gotten the sense that teenagers aren't as awestruck by his legacy as perhaps bros anticipated when Chip was first hired. Yeah, I definitely see that. Uh, there have been some instances during the recruiting cycle in, in this last class, 2019, where I did hear, you know, that Chip was a guy that a lot of these players looked up to and his program and what they were doing at Oregon and, you know, obviously the the, the uniforms and the blur offense, like you mentioned, uh, Puka Nakua really uh, comes to mind in that regard. He, he grew up a huge Chip Kelly fan and it wasn't even just about the offense. I think he understood just the the way his mind would work and, and, and how he was trying to get players 
in spots to be successful for his football team and and I think that is what really drew Puka to UCLA late in the process I think UCLA has a really good shot at, at flipping him from USC if maybe they recruit him for eight months rather than eight weeks but I I do think that uh Chip's name maybe resonates a little bit more with 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 coaches uh, high school coaches and and with their families than it does with recruits so there's a lot of similarities there with what we saw with Reggie Bush a few years ago where it seemed like every recruit out west especially on the offensive side of the ball would mention that number five was their favorite number and and, and Reggie Bush was the guy that they grew up watching you know even though some of these guys were four or five years old uh, that was the name that kept getting thrown out and I, I you know I, I do sense that you know, maybe with some of the younger guys, um, you know, Chip's Chip's name might carry more significance from an NFL standpoint. They remember him as the head coach, you know, of the Eagles and, and the Niners. So uh, I think he does have some pull in that regard. Bruin, nineteen thirty-four. He asks, "What recruits are make or break for the program, and how many wins makes us competitive for those not drinking the red and yellow Kool-Aid?" I would say that UCLA needs to at least be a 500 team this year um, to really make a dent in recruiting and to show progress and to show that they are taking the necessary steps to move the program in the in the right direction under Chip Kelly. If they have another losing year, then I think a lot of that 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 buzz might be wear, wears off. And especially on the recruiting front, if you're not putting in the effort, I mean, the 2019 class was a complete disaster and that really set them back here in this 2020 class where I think they're going to have to take a lot of uh, different uh, types of recruits. I think they're casting a wider net. I think they're, they need to fill more spots. And, and I think from a, from a maybe performance standpoint, now they need to, to prove it. And now they need to say, all right, well, if you weren't using all that time recruiting, you need to use this time and, and you need to show that all that time you used was to develop players and it needs to show on the field. I think they do need to uh, really target a, a lot of the big guys out west. I know I put in a crystal ball pick for B. John Robinson from Tucson, Arizona earlier in the week. Uh, those are the types of guys that UCLA needs to, to really covet. Um, especially in the region, you know, a guy like Johnny Wilson, local five-star receiver from Calabasas, uh, you know, they, they, they can't really lose those battles. Um, so I would say they, they need, definitely need a running back, a receiver, and they need a, a quarterback. They need a headliner, a guy, you know, not only, you know, it could be a national guy. Uh, I know they have offered a few uh, national recruits, uh, especially from out east. I think there's a guy from Texas, Haynes, Haynes King, I think is his name, who, they offered recently so they would need to to land a, a guy a national quarterback a guy with a lot of buzz to his name uh to really help the recruiting efforts uh, i'm not sure chase griffin really moved the needle last cycle so you know they, they do have a, a lot of work to do in that in that department ck fresh 5289 uh he asks the one recruit that can make this class a win or is there one uh, yeah, I mentioned, you know, I mentioned three earlier. Uh, I think, um, you know, a guy like Bijan Robinson would be huge for, for a UCLA recruiting class that uh, really needs buds and really needs that star power, you know, that, that it lacked in 2019. Um, you know, maybe a guy like Bryce Young, if they're able to flip him from USC. I know, you know, he has the offer from UCLA. He's obviously got the family connections to UCLA. Uh, that would be a recruit that I think could generate some headlines and, you know, obviously leading a, 
a national powerhouse like Santa Santa Ana Modern Day and and being a local guy and, and you know you know having a year in between him and Dorian Thompson Robinson could also help things so um, you know I think they do need some star power I think they need uh, big name uh, guys that that are going to help not only from a PR standpoint but obviously guys that can step in from day one and and really make an impact and I, I think those would you know be two candidates for sure. Econ Bruin, he asked, during recruiting season, a number of recruits indicated that their UCLA visit was businesslike. Some bros attribute that feeling to the recruits not being wined and dined enough uh, to stay on campus the whole time, eating at the training table rather than at a restaurant. Flash forward to today's comments by Keely Ringo, who indicated they're all about business. What do you think Chip Kelly and the assistant coaches are saying doing differently from other schools, uh, from most other schools when recruits visit? Uh, I do think it is all business. You know, there are no, you know, flashy photo shoots. There are still photo shoots. You, you've seen them. You, you've seen the players out on on the Wasserman Field. You know, in the in the sunshine. You know, taking their photos in the uniforms. But I, I just don't think there's those indoors with the flashing lights and the the playlist blaring through the speakers and and kind of that hype uh, hype train that you see at other places. Um, you know, Oregon is is one school that's doing it that way right now and and you know that that's being very effective for them they are they just landed the number one class in the Pac-12 um you know Washington I know does a, a great job of, of of what you know their presentations on campus uh you know trying to really kind of bring in that family feel and making everyone feel welcome uh UCLA is going about it the other way where you know it, it's all about what they hope to get out of the player and what the player can hope to get out of not only the program but also the education and you know possibility of being able to play at the next level uh there's a lot of projection that goes into a UCLA official visit i've heard you know players getting measured for their kneecaps you know depending on how uh how much weight they can take and and how their bodies can progress and and develop you know, there's a lot of measurements, a lot of the arm length and, uh, you know, depending on how much you can weight lift and all. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess, analytics that maybe these recruits aren't used to when they go out to a place like Oregon or when they go out to Colorado or Arizona State. Um, they're not having the same type of visit. So when UCLA comes comes around, it, it's a lot more businesslike and it's, and it's kind of getting down to the basics and getting down to you know kind of a the the close closing out the process in a way so yeah i do think that's a big difference and i think that's what recruits are now noticing about ucla is that they're being run a different way and the, the recruiting process as a whole is just different augie west he asked it's way early so you may answer these questions without concern that your answer will be uh, thrown back in your face down the road but one, assuming we're taking two, which QBs do you think we end up with in this class? I do think they end up with a national guy, and I think they end up taking a local guy. A uh, local guy to watch, and I just wrote about him this week, is, is Doug Brumfield from Guardian Acera. He's been out to UCLA. He camped with the Bruins last summer. He's thrown in front of Coach Kelly and Coach Bible. He hopes that they swing through in the spring eval period, and he would be a relatively easy he grew up a huge Chip Kelly fan. Uh, you know, we mentioned it earlier in, in, in the podcast about how some players just viewed him as as the guy that was running Oregon and, and kind of leading that program into what it what it became uh, at, at its pinnacle. 
Uh, and that's definitely one guy. And I do think that they, you know, probably go out national to, to get another guy, uh, you know, a guy that maybe fits his system a little bit better, a guy that can, you know, maybe step in and compete early on in, in his career. You know, I mentioned Haynes King, the, the dual threat prospect from Texas. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke is another player who visited recently, I think, uh, from Connecticut. Parker McQuarrie uh, from New Hampshire also landed an offer from UCLA recently. And so I, th- I think they have to get two and they have to get uh, a, a good mix of those two guys, two guys that complement each other very well and, and maybe project from a physical standpoint, uh, you know, better than than a guy like Chase Griffin, who, you know, it just isn't big and, and, you know, obviously hasn't been able to showcase anything during spring practice. King Yada, he asks, of all the offers we have out, whom are the longest shots of coming to UCLA? I, I would say that right now a long shot to end up at UCLA is DJ Uyagalele from St. John Bosco, number one quarterback in the country. You, you know, it's probably a Clemson-Oregon battle right now. That's a long, long shot. Kendall Milton, you know, another five-star prospect from in-state. He's a running back from Clovis. I think he's a long shot. He's looking at a lot of the national programs. If he were to stay in-state, I think it'd be USC for him. I think Jalen McMillan is a long shot, four-star receiver from Fresno. The top two corners in the country are probably long shots. LSU obviously has a commitment from Elias Ricks from modern day early on. And Keely Ringo, you know, even though he's been to campus twice and he really likes... Chip Kelly, I think he's got his eyes set on the likes of Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Washington. He's uh, originally from the Seattle area, so I think if he stays out west, that's probably the best shot uh, for a Pac-12 program to keep the number two corner in the country closer to the west coast. So yeah, even though I did mention earlier you know, that UCLA needs some star power, they need the, to build that buzz around their recruiting class, uh, they will have to be selective, and they will have to know when to pick their battles and, and really recruit the guys that they can really attain. And then lastly, Bruins for Life, he asks, any thoughts on which recruits UCLA has the best shot with? You know, I, I, yeah, I think I just touched on it. Those are guys that they have to, um, you know, really covet, the guys that they know they have a real shot at, but also quality and not just settling for, for the recruits that they did. Uh, with last year because you know you know UCLA especially with having a new coach I I think really missed a a golden opportunity to reel in a top 30 class top 25 class and and really continue building the program Uh, you know I think they do have a good shot with Bijan Robinson I put in a crystal ball pick uh, for 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 the Bruins in, in his recruitment it's it's early but I could see him especially after being on campus three different times and and liking what Coach Foster and Coach Kelly have told him about the offense and and his role. I I could see him ending up in blue and gold. Uh, Johnny Wilson, he's a local player. I think UCLA has a really good shot at. I I have a crystal ball pick in for Washington currently, uh, but that could change. I've heard from separate people that he would prefer to stay closer to home, and UCLA is the only in-state school in his top five which includes Oregon, Texas, and, and Ohio State. So uh, I do think that UCLA has a shot with him. And obviously his teammate, Jermaine Burton from Calabasas, those are two guys that they would really want. Another receiver that UCLA has a really good shot at is Romo Dunze from Bishop Gorman. They recently offered him, and he's looked really good in the offseason camp circuit. You know, he's really high on academics. And I, I think his visit to UCLA was a good one in, in, in that regard, being able to 
know the balance between the academic programs and the football uh, side of things. And Dorian Thompson Robinson is doing, you know, his share of recruiting as well to to reel in uh, a fellow Bishop Gorman guy. And so, you know, I do think that UCLA has a, a really good shot at, at, you know, all those guys on the offensive side of the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, I do think UCLA has a good shot at a few guys that they've offered recently as well. A couple strong side defensive ends in, in Jake Shipley and, and J. Max Jacobson. Uh, they've both mentioned that UCLA is a dream offer, and, and we could see them coming off the board, you know, towards the end of the spring, heading into the summer, or, you know, even before the season. Uh, I, I do think that they, you know, would prefer to continue recruiting Hawaii. I know they've offered a, a couple of linebackers out there in Jordan Botello and Nick Herbig, who, uh, you know, has a, a brother who just played at, at Stanford, and, and Nate Herbig, a big offensive lineman, and so he knows the Pac-12, and, and, and he's also very high on academics. Botello really enjoyed his visit to UCLA when he was out there in, in late February. Uh, he told me that it really surprised him, and, and now he's feeling like a big priority to, to Coach Kalfusi and, and, and all those guys on campus. You know, I do think that now they, they do have a, a bigger canvas to work with. I think they uh, maybe learned some, some valuable lessons in this 2019 class. Um, you know, Court Williams is another guy that comes to mind, another outside linebacker from, from St. John Bosco. Obviously, his brother, his, his uh, father was a walk-on for, for the Bruins. So uh, I, I do think there's just a lot more candidates to choose from now. And, and now for UCLA to be successful, the big part will be to actually recruit the players in the coming months and heading into the season and really, really stay on these guys for the rest of the year.